Boy, we all together this morning, aren't we? I mean, we we got it all going on here. So, our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I think you are very familiar with this passage of scripture. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you agree that there's not another organization or institution like the local New Testament church? I don't care what organization or institution you examine, there's not another one that is like the local New Testament church. Number one, think about the origin of the local New Testament church. Where did it begin? Who started the New Testament church? And we know that it was by Jesus Christ and his disciples. It was a supernatural beginning. That a lot of world religions that have had humans who have started those religions, those humans have since long died and gone off the scene to never do anything again. But we know that the origin of the local New Testament church was by Jesus, the Son of God, who never dies. He died to death on the cross to be resurrected, to never, ever die again. But not just its origin, but its longevity. How long will the local New Testament church last? Now, I'm not talking about individual churches. Because we know that on any given day, there are local New Testament churches across America that are closing their doors and going out of business. But the church in general, the local New Testament church, the longevity of it, it is until the very end of time. It it matters not how rough society becomes. It matters not how difficult the world looks. It, It matters not what persecution comes against the local New Testament church. There will always be a remnant of believers in the local New Testament church. It will never cease to be. Can't say that about any other organization. No university. No medical facility. There's nothing else that you can say will last until the end of time. But then what about its mission? What is the mission of the local New Testament church? It is a threefold mission. Number one is evangelism. And why is evangelism a part of the local New Testament church? Because of who started the local New Testament church? Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus came into this world for what reason? To seek and to save the lost. So evangelism has always been a part of a local New Testament church. But not just evangelism, but discipleship. Discipleship is the basic teaching and the training of God's Word, the basic understanding of what the Bible has to say, the the basic understanding of how we are to live. And again, this goes back to the origin of the local New Testament church and Jesus being the founder of it, Jesus being the, the originator of it. 
Discipleship was one of the things that he did on every given day, I believe. He discipled his followers. He discipled his believers. He discipled the people in the synagogues. He discipled everyone that he could find. As a matter of fact, what we're reading today is in, in Matthew chapter 6, is in the middle of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which was all a discipleship class. Jesus was teaching his believers, his followers, what it meant to be a believer. And that's what discipleship is. And the local New Testament church has to disciple people. Uh, as a preacher, pastors, there's a need for the messages that we preach to be evangelistic, but there's also a need for the messages to be discipleship, of helping the people who are already believers to understand how they're supposed to live and what God expects out of them. So the mission is threefold, evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship. Now, most Baptists do a pretty good job of fellowship in one area. Would anyone care to tell me what that one area may be? Food, eating. I mean, and somebody says in the local Baptist church, we're going to fellowship. You get out the casserole dish and you get ready, correct? And that is part of it. Study the life of Christ and his disciples and see how often they ate together. There's just something about breaking bread with other believers. There's just something about you sitting around the same table with other believers, sharing a good meal together, and at the same time discussing the Bible, discussing life in general. It's just a great time of fellowship. But that fellowship also is something that we can do in every service. As we come in, we shake hands, we hug necks, we speak to each other, we laugh together, we, we enjoy each other's company. Well, we do enjoy each other's company, don't we? we, we th- this is yes. We do enjoy each other, even those who wear Clemson. We, 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 we just put up with them. And those who don't drink Mountain Dew, we, we just... We just kind of put up with them too. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, we, we fellowship together even on Sunday mornings when we come together. And fellowship is a part of the mission of the local New Testament church. The Bible says that they, they went house to house breaking bread together daily. You, you can't be a, a secret agent believer and cut yourself off from every other believer and live like a hermit of nowhere and be all that God wants you to be. Fellowshipping with other believers is important. So the mission of the church is threefold. Evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship. Now churches go through cycles. They go through seasons of fulfilling this threefold mission. There are high points when that local New Testament church has the pews full, the offerings exceed the needs, missions is happening, and there is joy in the service. And everybody is going, hallelujah, amen, praise God. But that cycle will continue, and it will change at some point, and that church will then enter into a low point. It just cycles that way, just like life does. 
We cycle through high points and low points in our lives individually, and the church is no different. It, it will also go through the low points when it seems like the church is standing still or maybe backing up. It seems that God has removed Himself from the church. All of a sudden, it's like there's no supernatural power. The pews are empty. The offerings are off. Missions are only a memory. And the feeling of despair has replaced the feeling of joy. This happens to every church. No matter the size of that church. It goes through ups and downs, highs and lows. Now, when these low points happen, what should a church do? When the pews are not, no longer full, when the offerings have dropped, when the joy is not as great as it was, when it seems like God has kind of backed away and taken his hand off, what is it that that church needs to do? Well, I compare it to a struggling athlete. Whether it's a football player, basketball player, baseball player, no matter the sport. If they get in a bad way and their playing is beginning to drop off. You hear this in baseball especially over and over and over. When baseball players just all of a sudden can't hit, they can't catch, and and they're losing games, what does the coach usually say they're going to do? Go back to the basics. They have to go back to the basics of what they learned even in Little League. How to field the ball. How to hit the ball. How to hit the ball. How to run the bases. And they have to go back through that again to relearn the basics. And that usually gets them out of that slump. And they go forth. Churches, when they're at a low point, churches also need to go back to the basics. And I think the most basic of all for the local church, is prayer. I I believe that if we as churches in America, if we're going to deal with the low points of our churches, and may I tell you that the country is full of churches at low points that have never been as low as they are now, and as I said earlier, churches that are closing the doors because they don't have anybody attending, When a church gets to that point, or a church is headed to that point, then they need to go back to the very basic, and I believe the very basic of all is back to prayer. What did Jesus say in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 13? Jesus said that my house should be called what? No matter what else is going on. No matter the activities. Really no matter the attendance or the offerings. The local New Testament church is to be known as a house of prayer. And the scripture we read together today. Well that that is the model prayer. That Jesus taught his believers. So this is the basic of the basics. Prayer is one of the basics for every New Testament church to go back to. And I believe that the the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is the basis of prayer. And as churches, we have to return to that and understand what it teaches. Why, Why do I believe that 
the model prayer is the foundation for our praying. There are three reasons I want to give you as to why I believe this is so. Number one is because of the author. Who is the author of the model prayer? Not who wrote the book of Matthew, but who is the author of the model prayer? If your Bible has the words of Christ in red, these words are all red, aren't they? These are attributed to Christ. So the, the model prayer, the author, is Jesus Christ. The one we are to mimic, the one we are to be like, the one that is to lead us, guide us, and direct us. And so doesn't it make sense then that we understand what he taught about praying in this prayer? And as I've already mentioned, that this is in the middle of the three chapters that's called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving discipleship lessons on many different areas of life, and he is teaching his fellow believers what they're to do and how they're to live. And, and so we, we look at this model prayer, and we understand that the author of this prayer is the one who makes it so important and makes it the basic of all basics in praying. The second reason I believe this, not just because of the author, but because of the target of the prayer. Who is the prayer targeting? Look in verses 9 and 10. Pray then like this. Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the target of Jesus' prayer, the target of the model prayer, the target of our praying should be the Father. Jesus says, this is how you pray. And the word father is signifying a relationship. Jesus had a relationship with God as his father, did he not? And believers, don't they also have a relationship with God? Is he not also their father? Are we not adopted into the family of God? He becomes our spiritual father. He, he is the one that we look to. And so because of the target of this prayer, the father and our relationship with him, and also because of the residence, where is God in this prayer? In heaven. I'm going to surprise you. Dumb ain't heaven. Lyman ain't heaven. Not even Greer is heaven. The Carolina Coliseum is not heaven. Death Valley is not heaven. We don't see heaven in this world. Heaven is where God is. And so when we're praying and we're targeting God with our prayer, we're targeting our Father who resides in heaven, the land of perfection, and the land where believers will do what? Go to live in. Heaven is going to be the home of every believer. And we're praying to our Father who is already there preparing things for us to come. And this target that we're praying to, well, there's respect that we're to show Him. Look again. It says... Um, Hallowed, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Honoring the name of God. 
I'm sure you're like me, and you've heard a lot of people use God's name in vain. Right? Sometimes they just directly use God's name. And sometimes they use substitute words that are taking the place of God's name. But it all still means the same thing. We have to be careful of these little words that we come up with, these little words that we say that we think that they are so cute and nice and and they're not really that bad when most of the time these slang words are just a substitute for the real word. And so when we are praying to our Father in heaven, we are to have respect for him. Why? Because he is God. That's the only reason that there has to be. He is God. There's no one else like him. No one else created the world. No one else oversees the world. No, no one else allowed his son to die on a cross for the sins of mankind. There is only one Elohim, only one God. And so we respect him. We're talking about prayer, the, the very basic activity. We, we're looking at the model prayer and the reasons for it being that basic. Number one is because of the author, Jesus Christ, because of the target, our Father, and because of the substance of the prayer. What, what is the substance of the model prayer in verses 11 through 13? Well, in verse 11 it says simply, Give us this day our daily bread. Take care of us today. Provide for us today. Is that not the very basic of life? I, like you read through Scripture, read about the work being paid at the end of the day, a day's wages, and then that, that worker would go and get food and go provide for his family. Well, I never saw that lived out in America, but I saw it lived out in India. Where they would work for the day, they'd get paid at the end of the day, and then they'd stop at a little store on the way home to buy something for their family to eat. Their something would not be very much. It'd be very little, but they would buy something. A day's work was a day's pay that they had food for that day. It's so as Jesus is saying, we are to pray, give us our daily bread. Now, we're living in a land of plenty. And most of us do not worry about our daily bread, do we? Most of us have a supply in our homes. Most of us could probably go for a month or two months or three months without ever having to go to the grocery store. It may not be what we would like to eat, but most of us could survive for quite a while. And so we're not necessarily going to be praying, Lord, give us our daily bread in the same way that Jesus was teaching. But I think the principle here is, Lord, each day I need you, and each day I need you to take care of me, and each day I'm relying upon you, and not just for food. So, so the substance is, give us our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Man, we need that forgiveness. Right? I need that forgiveness. Let me rephrase this. I need his forgiveness. I know the thoughts that I have. I know the words that I think. And even the words that I may say. 
I, I know the attitude that I can have. I, I, I know me far better than y'all know me. And I know that I need His forgiveness. And likewise, I need to be willing to forgive others who have done something that offended me. Very often someone will offend you and didn't even know they offended you. Very often they will offend you without meaning to offend you. And we'll still hold a grudge like, you wait, I'll get even with them. Their time's coming, I'll take them out. But then we're saying, oh, how I love Jesus. We, we have to be willing to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness. And then in verse 13, it's about deliverance. Lead us not into temptation. And there's a meme that goes around on social media. Don't lead me into temptation. I can find my way myself. Have you ever heard that or seen that? Yeah, and most of us, we, we can find our way to temptation without somebody leading us into temptation. Just just nod your head. I, I can get myself in trouble. Can, can y'all get yourselves in trouble? Can, can you do something that later you look back and say, ah, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? I, I really don't need anybody to lead me into being what I shouldn't be. I can get there pretty much on my own. But you know what's behind all of that? The power of Satan. And, and so Jesus is saying, we, we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Evil. We could even go so far as say the evil one. For the evil one, Satan, is a source of all evil. Now, I know that we all can have sin in our hearts, even as believers. But sin originated with Satan. And so, Jesus is saying, pray for deliverance from evil, even the evil one. This is just basic stuff. What Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe this for any church, and we'll say specifically today for Grace Baptist Church, prayer has to be the engine that drives the church forward. There is no one preacher, there's no one message, there's no one activity, there's no one anything that can drive a church forward, a local New Testament church. It can only go forward through the engine of prayer. That, that's the reason that I gave you the sheet several weeks ago, my five. Who are the five you are praying for? Who are you lifting up to God? That's the reason for the prayer cross, my five. And I'll add one to, to there during this message that you write a request. You can write names on a sheet of piece of paper and fold it up if you want to and stick it on here. And this prayer cross is going to be a reminder every service that there are names here, there are people here who need prayer, and that we are to be praying for them. It is a visual cue, 
a, a visual reminder. So we, we've got my five that we should be praying for. We've, we've got the prayer cross that reminds us about individuals who need to be prayed for. And you're going to have another option here shortly. Don't y'all like options? You're going to have another option. As y'all know, I found a new texting service. I mean, I've been looking high and low for months. I was paying $20, $30 a month for what we had. And I'm like, there's got to be a better option out there. And uh, God brought a better option across, which is a free option. Isn't that a good option? A, A free option? That, that is very well programmed and maintained. And part of this new texting program is the fact that if someone sends a text message to that number and it has the word pray or prayer anywhere in there, their system automatically takes that message and moves it over into a prayer column for those who are part of a prayer team to pray for. Automatically. And so you're going to have an, the opportunity to sign up to be a part of this prayer team. I'll send out a text over the next several days. And, and if you want to be a part of that prayer team, uh, you just reply to that text and let me know. And I'll be more than glad to add you to that uh, text, uh, to that prayer team. Yeah. I'm about to get tongue-tied here. You know that thing I was talking about. The prayer team by texting. Uh, it even produces a QR code. And now everybody knows what a QR code is, right? Just just nod your head. Everybody knows what a QR code is. QR code is you scan it with your little fancy phone. And when you scan that QR code, it automatically does something. And what it does, it starts a text message to Grace Baptist Church that they can fill out with their prayer request and then hit send and it comes into the program and the program says, ah, look, a prayer request. Let me move it to the prayer team. And then the prayer team can begin to pray need. And a part of this program also is that we will be a part of the process. There are several ministries that in every area of the country, they receive requests and needs from people in the community that they some of those to us that we can pray for these needs and reach out to these people and say, hey, how can we help you? We'd love for you to come and be a part of Grace Baptist Church. So all of this is in the works. It's not there yet, but it's in the works. So it, it all ties into prayer being the basic activity of the local New Testament church and prayer being the engine that drives the church. I mean, I don't look good enough to drive a church. I'm not smart enough to drive a church. I don't have the abilities that's needed to drive a church into the future. But I know one who does. And Jesus said, we just need to come to him and pray like this. Our Father. In heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe any church, any New Testament church,
that puts prayer as the foundation for what they do, God will honor and God will use. And God will take that church into the future where God wants that church to be. It's just a matter of are we willing to do that. Would you be a part of this? Will you do my five prayer list and pray for your five? Will you add specific prayer requests here that we can pray for and that we can see and visually be reminded? And will you then be a part of a prayer team for the needs that may come in from who knows where? I believe that it's going to be through prayer that God moves and God works. So I challenge us, not you, I challenge us that we get back to the basic activity of prayer. And our invitation today is that we would gather around this altar, would gather here at this prayer cross, we'd pray for those who are already on here, and pray for those who will come on here. And then y'all feel free after service to take one of these nice little pieces of paper that David provided in the push pen. Say, I remembered push pen today. And, and stick it on there. And we're going to make this a part of our services. Not every Sunday, but on a regular basis. We'll, we'll come together around this prayer cross, and we're going to pray for those requests that are here. So the invitation this morning is, would you come?